what I was seeing with these bartenders. There was so much passion, innovation, and my thing was I really wanted to show the artistry of drinks. Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy podcast for our chat. This is your host, Tristan Stevenson. On today's episode, first of the new season, I am speaking with Sandre Lawrence. Along with her partner, Gary Sharpen, Sandre is one half of the Cocktail Lovers, the UK-based drinks bloggers turned magazine editors, turned podcast producers, turned drinks industry mavens and all-round awesome people. We discuss how Sandra and Gary transitioned from fashion journalism to drinks, the early years of the cocktail lovers and what the bar scene in London looked like back then, as well as the driving forces that have made it what it is today. We also address some of the challenges of print journalism and the rise of podcasting And by the way, the Cocktail Lovers have now published 41 editions of their magazine, so they're quickly heading towards 50, which is pretty impressive. Finally, we delve into Sandre's role as a champion of diversity in the industry. Really hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Bar Chat Season 4. I cannot believe it. Um, And a couple of other things I can't believe. We are, for the first time in a long time, recording back in our London studio, which is why everything sounds so amazing and crisp and lovely. And the other thing I can't believe is I'm sat opposite one of my favourite people in the bar industry, which is Sandre Lawrence. Oh, stop, Tristan. (laughs) (laughs) It's mutual. Absolutely flattered and honoured to be here. Well, I'm so happy you're here. Um, I said to you already, I already thought you'd been on the podcast, and the fact that you haven't is um, disgraceful, quite frankly. So it's wonderful to have you here. Well, it's good to be here, and uh, let's get on with it, I think. (laughs) It's fantastic. Cool. Uh, well, we're going to start with quickfire questions, which is uh, kind of part of what we do now. So as quick as you can, the idea is to flow through these fast. First answer that comes to your head. Are you ready? I don't know. Should I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Favourite guilty pleasure cocktail? Pina colada. White chocolate, milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Milk chocolate. Favourite day of the week? Mm, Thursday. Uh, fill in the blank. A frozen margarita is? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> Polka dots or stripes? Um, stripes. Uh, what one drink do you order the most? Martini. Same. What do you garnish a Negroni with? Nothing, actually. And what's the maximum number of spritzes of perfume before it's too much? Ooh. Four. Oh, yeah, I think you're about right. I, we're in agreement on pretty much all of those questions, especially the frozen margarita being Good. cold. <laughs> I mean, it's difficult to argue against that one, isn't it? Oh, right. Well, look, um, for anyone that doesn't know you, it's probably worth doing a quick bio um, of yourself. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the drinks industry. Yeah, it was quite a long-winded route, actually. Um, I've always been in journalism, done a few other things. I've done a bit of singing, a bit of all sorts, um, research, but always journalism. It's one of the things that I've always loved. I used to make magazines at school and bore my friends to tears and sell them in the playground. But I took the freelance sort of beauty and fashion route because that was kind of easier as a woman to get into and um, honed my skill, shall I say, at Daily Telegraph where I worked on the fashion desk and then moved into a magazine called Wear London which was all about reporting on everything that was going on in London. So that was from theatre and fashion to food and... A little bit of drinks. Actually, I brought the drinks into the magazine because I started really liking bar life. 
<laughs> and uh, so when did the cocktail lovers sort of come about as a result of all of that? And were you doing the two at the same time? For at a some point, yeah. yes. So when Gary and I, who is Mr. Cocktail Lover, yeah. when we first started dating, he took me to bars because he loved bars. He loved the glamour of bars. I wasn't really into cocktails at that time. I was fashion, so I was much more into champagne, wine, that kind of thing. And it's okay to be into both, right? Yeah, it is. But it was at that time, I guess, as well, the cocktails were not particularly great. So I was much more into that. So, But Gary loved the glamour of cocktails. He, I think he thought he was some sort of actor or something and wanted to be living that cocktail life. So he used to take me to hotel bars. And that's where we started to both explore the cocktail lover's journey together. Mm. And what year was that? How long ago was this, Ooh. roughly? It's about 15 years. And you think that the cocktail scene's changed a lot since then? Do you oh, think, my was God. Was it hard completely. to get hold of a good drink back then? Do you, it, think? you had to go to specific places, um, mainly hotel bars. And there were some that were good, but you really had to seek them out. So that it would only be central London, I would say, in, in the UK sort of thing that we would go to. But what really appealed to me about it was that the people that loved doing cocktails really loved their cocktails and really wanted to talk about them. So while I was working at Ware London, one of the things I used to do was interview chefs. And this wasn't at the time of TV chefs where chefs were personalities. They didn't want to talk at all. So for me, when I went to a bar and then you got these bartenders, that once they knew that you loved what they were doing, they really wanted to engage. So I actually loved speaking to bartenders because they're quite a show-offy lot, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so, as I say, once they knew that you were interested, they would share things and talk to you. And so, in turn, that made me want to write about them more. Mm. Yeah, there's that whole thing about bartenders are kind of, you know, want to be rock stars or actors, (laughs) and the bar ends up being their stage. Well, it is, though. I mean, also, when you think about chefs, they're in the background, they are in the kitchen, and they're there for a reason. Whereas bartenders are at the front, their job is to entertain. So it was really lovely to get that thing where, you know, if I wanted to talk to them or ask for quotes, they were more than happy to do it. So Gary and I then started writing about them. Mm. Yeah, so uh, when when the Cocktail Lovers started, it was... A blog, it was effectively. A blog. Mm-hmm. So what was the kind of MO? What was the idea? How was it going to be different to other... Because I remember that time, because I was opening my first bar in London around about yes. the time you guys started, yes. and there was a lot of cocktail blogging going on at that. It was really the golden age of blogging, wasn't it? It, it was, was and it, it very much came from the US, because I remember when we first started, there weren't that many in the UK. And then I think a year or so later, because we took a bit of a break, and then a year or so later, there were quite a lot. There was Gin Monkey, yet another Gin, lots of different people. We, our USP started a bit before then, because we wanted to do something together. We were both uh, doing our respective jobs, but this was something that we could do together. And it took up all our weekends and spare time, but it was a lovely sort of passion project. So when we started, it was this Miss S, Mr G thing, um, mainly because we had other jobs and we (laughs) didn't want to sort of let our other personalities Mm. come into it. So it was a nice way to sort of 
tell stories, but in with a different head on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was quite fun for us and both of us to have our personalities in there in that way. We enjoyed it. That's interesting because I, I was aware that you were kind of anonymous, um, at least to begin with. Mm. And I guess I kind of thought it was just a feature of what you were doing, but there's you know, you wanted to keep it separate from your other yeah, life it as was, well. Yeah, it was a bit of both, actually, because it was the thing of creating these characters and yeah. Mrs. Mr. G was quite nice that we could talk about and to each other, but actually it was about the other jobs as well because it just separated us from that. Mm. And then also, I mean, there's something to be said for, especially if you're going to be sort of reviewing bars or commenting on them and not being known as someone who's going to be mm. writing about it because... Well, we're all kind of aware of how bloggers lean on kind of freebies and things yes. like that. And, that, you know, it's it's sort of famous trait of a certain type of blogger where it's like, can I get a freebie if I come and review your well, place? Well, yeah. yeah, and it was it was horrible in some ways because people started using it in quite a derogatory term, yeah, yeah. the word blog. Yeah. And actually, when you think about it in fashion, fashion bloggers are really held in high esteem. But food and drinks bloggers, it's always seen as, you know... You're just blagging mm. rather than blogging, yeah. you know. So you're not a real journalist, no, otherwise absolutely. you wouldn't be writing a blog. No, yeah, no. Yeah. So that was one of the drawbacks of it, and we really, we loved doing the blog, but we kind of wanted it to be a website because it sort of held a bit more credibility in a way. So yeah. So how did the what? Actually, tell me a little bit about that whole culture at the time of with the other bloggers and everything, and because I remember you know, events, whether it was, I guess, early versions of um, London Cocktail Week or whatever. And it was like, you just have this throng of people who are, all knew each other. And it was like a real kind of community it of was drinks a writers. And most of them absolutely lovely as well. And very, you know, really doing their bit to support the bar industry mm. in London and helping to elevate. And I, 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 I mean, I don't think it, things would have played out the way they did without that community of, of writers Absolutely. Um, alongside the, you know, innovative bars that are opening and the people that are pushing the envelope in that direction, in that way. Um, so what was it like? And, you know, was it competitive? Did it feel competitive? Or? Not really, because we all had different niches. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, we all knew each other to some degree because you'd all be invited to the same things so no I don't think I mean maybe for some of the ones that were writing about a particular category it may have been a bit more competitive mm. so <clears throat> at that time you did have a few that were writing about gin but for us because we were writing about cocktails and then we sort of opened it out to write about drinks in general and, and things like that and also because it was the two of us and we were doing it from a his and hers perspective mm. so there were kind of different points of differences mm. really but it was it was an interesting time because as you say I think that it really did a lot to help the drinks industry and we didn't think about it like that it was just this real enthusiasm and passion that we all shared but I remember with people like Hawksmoor they did say that having bloggers or personalised writers or whatever you want to call it, it really did help them with their kimchi burgers and, you know, things like that. So that was really social media being social and working for the right things, I think, at that time. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember when we were opening Pearl and, and Whistling Shop, so this is like, I guess, 11, 12 years mm. ago, 
like we were very kind of aware of what bloggers were going to be saying about it at the time. Of course, we, you know, if, if Time Out were going to write about it or it featured um, in, a, in a newspaper, then that was important too. But, you know, it was, um, I don't know if it's still the same now. I'm not so sure it mm. is that, you know, operators are so heavily aware of, of what bloggers have to say mm. about about the venues and whether the influence is still there from that side of things yeah as well. but it's kind of changed now I guess because now you've got the influencers on social media and they play that role and it's more of just pictures being seen in places whereas I think with the bloggers that at the time that we were around it was that thing of personal endorsements and so even though you would have journalists write about it it almost had a different weight to the the blogging weight I think it's it was very interesting I mean the whole emergence of it and also the kind of dispersing of it has been yeah. just almost extraordinary yeah. do you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly it's um really a quite a short period of yeah. time you wonder if podcasts are going to go the same way as well, well it is it's it, there's always these different things that take yeah. place aren't there so you say you're talking about the bloggers and now talking about the social media influencers and podcasts yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. um anyway long may they reign yeah That's what I... <laughs> indeed indeed well i just it's just a great excuse to have conversations have with a people. chat that would be, absolutely i mean it'd be a bit awkward if i just said sanjay should we just go meet uh, in a in a kind of carpeted room for an hour and have a conversation absolutely we won't be drinking anything it's just a chat <laughs> i might have notes with me as I well know, i know yeah that would be a little bit weird so how did the transition to because that leap to a magazine i yeah, i remember i remember talking to you about it at the time before and after and everything i was like blimey you're brave like you're yeah going into... stupid i guess <laughs> and and also it's just that thing <clears throat> we've always done things very instinctively so it's about what we feel is right for that time but also fed by reaction so we were doing, because the website, it, I, I'd say it transitioned from a blog to a website. Mm. In my mind, it yeah, did. Yeah. And then people started saying, oh, have you got a magazine or will you be doing a magazine? At that time, we weren't even thinking of it, to be honest. I wanted to pitch freelance ideas to consumer magazines because what I was seeing with these bartenders, you great guys at, at Pearl and all sorts of places, there was so much passion, innovation, real careers. And I still think at that time people were thinking the bartenders, it was just something you did in your spare time, yeah. you wasters, basically. And my thing was I really wanted to show the artistry of drinks. And so I pitched a lot of ideas to consumer magazines and papers. And at that time they would not take it. I mean, they'd write about wine, but cocktails and spirits, not really. So it all coincided and we just thought, let's try it. So we did. And we did it very much at the beginning. It was a digital only because at that time, everyone was saying print was dead. And also it's our money. Mm. So it's a lot of outlay sort of thinking, how can we publish? How do we do this? How much is it going to cost? But there's some goodness in ignorance. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and also not do... The market research we did was instinctive. And we did the sort of magazine that we wanted to read. And we knew that the people like us wanted to read. So we just did... We did a lifestyle 
cocktail magazine. Mm. I think um, there's definitely usefulness and ignorance, but even more so in um, the sort of philosophy you just said afterwards, which is do something for yourself that mm. you, 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 you're going to like. I think um, it's it's very easy to mimic other people's businesses or to try and create a business for a type of person that's not you and that you don't know. Whereas if you can make one that you yourself would purchase mm. the product or yeah. use the device or the item or whatever, then that's a great starting point because yeah. you're probably not that unusual to anyone else. Well, absolutely. You know? And also it was something that we didn't see. You know, it's something that we wanted to read, but we didn't see. And also the other thing I'd say, again, ignorance is... You do it, but you shouldn't be doing it for the money, not at first, because I would say even now we probably don't make money, but it's it's about doing things for the right reasons and doing it because you believe that they're right, you know. So a lot of people that may do the same, and there have been magazines that have launched since and closed since, because I think that they think it's a lot easier. It's not easy. <laughs> I can't imagine it is. I mean, it's not easy, and keeping your marriage going as well. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the work-home balance must be tricky. It's really good, actually, because I must say that for me personally, I probably would never have thought I could do it. But Gary's the right person for my personality. Mm. We work just in the same distance to how we are sitting. So we live, we work, we go out, we do all of the same things together. And that really does take a special... He must get on your nerves sometimes. (laughs) I just put on my headphones. (laughs) That's why you're here today, right? I've got to get out of the house. I'll do anything. I'll go even go and talk to Tristan. I'll go and talk to (laughs) Tristan. That's how bad it is. Well, I mean, look, I, I mean, I've... I've I've have I have some experience in publishing though it's books rather than magazines and I know what it takes to put a book together and mm. really a magazine is just a smaller book yes. and some of them are really the same size as books um so I can't imagine what it's like to how often do you publish is it quarterly quarterly yeah I mean yeah you're you're writing a book a year at least at the mm. very least um which is um yeah, you've got to be committed to that and you've got to love it. And you've been doing it now for, what, 10 years you've been yeah, doing magazine? Yeah, 10 years. It's it's quite extraordinary, even to us, you know, to think as an independent magazine to be going that length of time. And it changes all the time because you have to change. You have to react to what's going on. You have to feel the mood. You have to see, you know, we've, we've sort of transitioned in lots of different ways. First of all, it was very much we wanted it to be about consumers like us. Then it sort of swayed a bit more into trade. Then it sort of merged the two. Now we've gone back to much more of a consumer-facing audience again because I think it's really important. We've got um, we've got trade magazines out there, but we still need this sort of mm. chatty, sort of informative uh, magazine about drinks and the people and the products behind these great bars that we have all around the world. So who is reading it then? Who's your demographic? Is it a mixture? Or? Yeah, we have a mixture. And it's UK and US very much, the two core, but then the rest of the world as well. So we still have it online because you have to have both. Mm. You, but print is still very, very important to us, but also important to 
niche audiences. I think that people want, you know, we're all at computers all day and I will look at magazines or features online, but I very rarely go back to them. Whereas with a print magazine, you can pick it up, you put it down, you come back to it, you pick it up, you put it down. So we always think of the online version as our lean forward and the magazine as our lean back. Mm. And, you know, people love it still. So long may that continue. Regardless of, you know, the how print media is doing um, in terms of numbers and everything, do you think, like, as consumers of magazines, that it's it's like a dying art? Like you just described there, it's like, you know, the coffee table magazine, you put it down, you pick it up. Do you think we're losing that skill because of, of devices and social media and all that kind of thing? Yeah, we are, but there's still that need for it. There's still that thing where we talk to people of all different ages and they still say that they love to read. Maybe we're just talking to people that like magazines. <laughs> I've, got no, I've got no idea. But they, you know, if you see there's there's places like Mag Culture. I don't know if you've been to it. It's this amazing no. magazine shop and they have thousands of magazines there. You know, there's always going to be a need for print. It is dwindling obviously but there's something about the crafting mm. of print mm. you know and the smell people always pick oh, up yeah. the magazine they're like, i love the smell it's you a know? childhood thing eh? yeah. i mean i associate because i used to be I, I used to get a lot of magazines when i was it was like a real treat because mm. it was i mean i guess back then when i was young it was a bit like the a bit like a website in a way like you got to really deep dive yeah. into one particular topic um in this little booklet um, and nothing else existed that could could get you there. Exactly. And we're all, you know, everything is so fast paced. So it is nice to just take some time, get your eyes off the screen for yeah. a bit and just, you know, soak it all in. Yeah. So um, 10 years in the magazine. Mm. Now you're doing podcasts as well now. We are doing podcasts. I must say I love the podcast because even though I love writing, but writing can be like giving birth. It's some days the words are not there and you're just agonizing over filling up the page yeah whereas with podcast it's having a chat you know yeah. i mean the magazine is having a chat but in a much more edited mm. way whereas we do this nonsense both of us just talking mm. and it's lovely and i don't i don't think is this nonsense no no you're talking no. about your podcast oh, no. okay. <laughs> i'm talking about gary and i we just twaddle on together and it's but there's something really nice about that because it does bring out a relationship mm. and you actually feel the person we've had some readers get in touch with us and they're like we love the magazine but the podcast is great because we hear you and I think that they thought that we were these really glamorous people swanning around London going to all these swanky bars and then they Wait hear us that does start <laughs> well, sort of kind your of. profile <laughs> <laughs> but then there's also this other you know cockney side yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so it's quite nice to to have the two and to actually hear the the voices the thing the thing I like about it and you're right I mean it is it's it's a form of broadcast journalism all that kind of stuff where when you're writing you're you're kind of writing to an unknown person who's going to read it and of course you're sort of you know Stephen King always talks about writing you leave the door open when you're writing initially like you want to let that person yeah. in to to know what it is you're trying to say but it's hard because you don't know exactly who the audience mm. is and you're sort of writing for this like mythical person with podcasts the conversation's happening right there yeah. and then. And not only do you, do you get the sort of feedback of what someone else has to say to your points, but also it then 
creates new ideas in your yeah. mind as well and perhaps takes you to you know thoughts and uh, you know ways of thinking that you wouldn't have gotten to mm. were you on your own sat in front of a desk and a keyboard. Yeah, know? and it was really funny when we first started because we we're, we're doing it on our own. It's like we have we don't have a swanky studio like this, but we we very much thought again like the magazine where we thought it needed to be edited or it needed to be perfect. And then it was just like you know what? No, we will just correct each other as we go along. You'll have a laugh mm. at our mistakes and things like that. So it makes it really nice to do. So it's a nice two things that we have. Yeah. Yeah, no, nice. So um, you have your finger on the pulse of the bar scene in, well, all over the world, but especially London. So what, what's been going on recently in London? What, what's the last great drink you had or the great bar you went to? Where's been really impressing you? God, there's so many. And actually, it was, of course, we've had the time where two, two years of not being able to do things. So it's obviously slowed a lot of openings down. But it's great to see that there's so much energy and vibrancy as well. And also from the audience side, you know, great guests, people really, I think what the lockdowns did was make people realise how much they needed to go out and connect. And even though people were making drinks at home, and they'll continue to make drinks at home, but they appreciate more the crafting of a cocktail or, you know, even someone pouring them a glass of wine or something. And being in this sort of convivial atmosphere, it's all about connection. And I think that we've missed that. So going back to where I've been, there have been some great places. I love Seed Library, mm-hmm. um, which is Ryan Chetawadana's new place. And there's something about that that really appeals to me as an older person because it's a great gathering place for all ages and it's sort of you can sit back you can watch stuff going on there's vinyl there's, it's just so beautifully put together I love that um have you been to Silverleaf no I have not so that's another one nearby that's sort of in in the city very different. That's a Tom Dixon designed okay. place. Um, and we've got some great cocktails coming out there. Beautiful menu to look at and to experience because it's done in a kind of art form. So you're looking at these pictures and then there's a description of the drink. You get the key ingredient there, but it's their interpretation mm. of that. So it's really nice. Um, where else have we been that's so exciting? There's so many places, honestly. It's it's so nice because you can go anywhere now, anywhere in the world, not just in London or wherever. You can go to somewhere in Lagos, maybe, or whatever, and you know that you're going to find at least one good cocktail bar. Yeah. And that thrills me yeah i know it's it's comforting isn't it yeah. to know that you could be stranded somewhere and not know anything but chances are you can get a good cup of coffee and a good cocktail yeah and you know i mean i know this is a diageo podcast so that's not the reason i'm saying this but I think that cocktail competitions have had a huge role to play in that because even though you will have 50 countries, some of them you know are going to be much higher up on the cocktail making scale than others, but they all learn from each other. And then there's a social media Mm. side, so they're always in touch. And I think that has really Mm. propelled the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. It is is that sort of uh, the combination of the immediate sharing of ideas, creative stuff, information, new products mm. um, combined. And networking. Yeah, and, and, yeah, networking combined with 
you know, incentives to improve and yeah. get better um, in the form of cocktail competitions. And, you know, we already talked about how perhaps sort of blogging and journalism helped shift London forward. Um, but globally, I think we we have um, those two things to, mm. to be very grateful of. Um, and, you know, the rise of the kind of superstar bartender as well, I suppose, is part of it as well, mm. elevating certain people up to... Um, a certain status and and that being quite uh, desirable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, so there there were always people that regarded it as a career, but it was really good to bring other people in when they could see this platform for, you know, being a showman, but also being creative and, you know, having accessibility to all these great opportunities, travel the world, do all sorts of stuff. Mm. It's amazing. You were talking about... um, the menu at Silverleaf mm-hmm. um, and sort of how it alludes to the type of cocktail, but not necessarily, you know, listing out all the ingredients, which I'm quite a fan of. Mm. I think it's a bit of a blunt stick kind of listing out every ingredient in a cocktail. It is. And, and also it's just overwhelming for guests. I mean, even though we, when we've never been bartenders, we get to understand a little bit more of the flavour profile, but still it's just like, just tell me, you know, it's, Sometimes I think it can all be a bit too clever Mm. and people want to make things as simple as possible so they can get on talking to their friends. Mm. They shouldn't be spending the whole evening perusing the drink unless they want to, you know, it's a different thing. But I think that was one of the things that used to put people off cocktails because they felt intimidated by them and they didn't want to ask questions. So then they would ordinarily just ask for a glass of wine or whatever. But now people feel much more comfortable calling their gin brands, Mm. you know, looking through the menu, asking the bartender, what is that? Or can you swap this for that? So it's a lot more communication. And I Mm. think that's where the magic happens, really. I think it can work both ways, that kind of the kind of sort of purposeful confusion of a guest. Because on the one hand, it can be intimidating. They can be like, God, I'm not coming here again because it mm. makes me feel like an idiot. I don't know what to order. And what I did order, I don't like. And I didn't know I wasn't going to like it because I didn't really know what was in it. <laughs> and it's expensive. And it's expensive. Mm. But on the other hand, it sort of sets a kind of opportunity for attainment of knowledge and therefore kudos that comes with it. So, mm. you know, like you say with gin brands, um, we where there's just a million of them now, um, there's an opportunity there for someone to go, ah, right, here's something I can specialize in. I can try lots of gin brands and then I can tell my friends that mm. I like this. And it, it, it kind of looks, it, it creates a, uh, an opportunity to achieve a certain status, mm. um, which I think a lot of consumers have. I mean, yeah, we're, the, the, you know, the bartending crafts in, improved over the last few years, the range of cocktails, products, venues and everything. But consumers Obviously, that, that you know, the tide has had to lift those boats as well. Otherwise, there would be no point in doing yeah. it, right? So consumer yeah. knowledge is improving too. So clearly, those people who are really into it were not intimidated enough to yeah. to to you know exit. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. You know, it, it's reaching that um, optimum level yeah. of engagement, but not. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think that bars have experimented on both sides, so they have gone down the complete listing every ingredient to really minimalising things now. And I think that there's just been that thing where 
it is just looking at how your guests use the menu or, you know, sometimes they will shy away from a certain drink because of the way that it's described. But if you list it in a different way, it will go, you know. So it's just a lot of tweaking. And I think that that's a really good thing about having new menus all the time because you can reinvent the same drink, actually, mm. and just see how, how things and see how trends are at mm. that time. What's your biggest like bugbear in a bar? I mean, we we you know the the whole experience, of course, is important. Everything, lighting, music, drinks, service. But is there something in particular where you're like, nah, scratch, you're out. You're, sorry, you messed it up. It's I think it's bringing personality into it, and I'm not talking show showmanship or anything. It's about engagement. So I want to know. I, I'll always remember right at the beginning when we first started writing, we went to uh, a London cocktail club when Andy Mill used to Mm -hmm. work there. And he was a real champion of this. He'd see you coming down the stairs and you almost thought you knew him. He'd be like, hi, guys, I'll get you in a minute. And that's just what you wanted to know. It was this real connection with the guest and actually making you know that even if you had to wait 10 minutes for your drink, it was being taken care of. So there's things like that. It's just, it's not about being the swankiest bar. It's not about having the fanciest menu. It's about the way you make people feel. Mm. I remember reading a, um, there was some kind of broad study or survey done on on, um, a bunch of restaurant goers in the US. And they asked them to sort of grade the importance of various aspects of their meal from... Um, like the quality of the food, the timeliness of the service, the cost, the hello, the goodbye, all this kind of stuff. And the top two factors that came out as being important for a positive experience was how well they were greeted and how well they were, you know, wished wished on their way. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's such a simple thing Mm. and it's free of charge. Yeah, absolutely. It just needs a bit of training Mm. for some people anyway. And it can make all the difference. Uh, like you say, you walk into a bar and you get a nice kind of like, hey guys, welcome, a little bit busy at the moment, I'm going to be with you yeah. very shortly. It's very different to that kind of stone cold. Absolutely. Or, yeah. you know, there used to be this thing where people just used to stare down at their bar so they just didn't want to connect with you, yeah. you know. And that was one of the things you'd either walk out or it's like, am I ever going to get served? You know, so there's just little things like that that, as you say, doesn't cost anything but it can cost you a lot you know yeah, so yeah. it's good um right moving on yes um you are known for championing women in the drinks industry i guess because you are a woman in the drinks industry i am and also it's just that when we started there weren't that many particularly in london there weren't i mean most of the women of note were in the States. So you had people like Audrey Saunders yeah. and Julie Reiner and younger ones like Ivy Mix. We had Esther Medina, yep. who, was, who was great, but I can't remember that many. And I remember we used to make a mistake as well and we'd write things of bar men. It's really weird when you realise that you've done that yourself. Mm. But we... There was a lot more... Scotland seemed to be ahead of the game on this, right? Because back then... You had like uh, Mimi Sanchez yes, yes. and Shaveen and uh, May, a bunch of other. There was it's a really strong sort of presence yeah. of female bartenders, and there's still, uh, yeah, you know, still, still a core yeah, core yeah, thing. Yeah. But yeah, we we didn't have that many in London. I'm just trying to think back, but I think of Esther mostly, yeah, yeah. Um, Sarah, Sarah Mitchell, Mitchell yeah, 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 and um, yeah, a few a few people, but not coming top of mind. 
And then it became really prevalent to me. And it's just like, why? Why is this? You know, it's like women are creative, passionate. We, we're, art, we've got art. It, you know, it's just like all of these things and hosting skills, all of that sort of stuff. And also it brings the equality to a room there's something about yeah, having yeah. a woman in the bar the woman's presence working in the bar that really just calms things down I think mm. and to me I really wanted to do a thing I wanted to do a recruitment drive actually and trying to think of ways to do it we did this um I don't know if you came but we did a exhibition of women in the drinks industry did this beautiful photos of them, all sorts of things. And I wanted to take it into schools and just sort of say to, to young girls that this is a great industry to be in. So whatever level you want to enter, you can be a bartender, you can be a PR, you can do brand ambassador, but just letting people know, because some people don't even realise these opportunities mm. exist. And for me, I know that there's been some backlash in the, in the States. So it was very... There was a lot of sexism coming up. I, for me, and from the people that I've worked with, it doesn't seem so much in the UK, or maybe it's just hidden in a different way, in, in the same way as race. You know, mm. there's always racism. It's just sort mm. of under undercurrent, mm. you know. So it was just about being inclusive for both, for um, women and for people of colour. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, my sense is that there's no, at least the places I've worked, and like you quite rightly, maybe it is just more discreet than you rec recognise. There's never really been a sense of sexism, but there's definitely been a problem with opportunity mm. for women mm. in the industry because, like you say, it's I think at least in the past, it's just never seen as a viable career option. It's not not it's not really seen as a viable career option for anyone, um, but no. as, but especially mm. not so for women. It's always interesting to me as well that it, you know, I I put this out in one of the issues that we did, which was on colour. And it wasn't just about people of colour. It was about coloured drinks. It was all sorts of things. It was examining colour in drinks and then in turn looking at people of colour in the drinks industry. And one of the questions that I did ask people is like, are we being held back or do we hold ourselves back? Mm. And it's the same with women, you know. Are we being held back or, or are we holding ourselves back? And and also with most of the women and people of colour that are in the drinks industry, we all are very outgoing. You know, there's certain personality traits, whether you're out loud and proud or it's a different kind of confidence you have. There's something about you. Do you think that's that is, a necessary? I don't know. Function this is of being one of, a woman in the industry. I think so. At the moment, mm. I, I think you're starting to see different types of people coming through. There's different attributes I have. I'm not confident in. There's different different things that you bring to the party, but I do think that there's certain character traits that bring you to this industry. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. How how do you think things have changed, if at all? What's what's? I think all brands are everybody is making little, not actually big steps for them. It may be, but people are acknowledging it, and I think that's the biggest step. It's like knowing that you do need to have more women, you do need to have more representation of people of color, and disabilities. You know, we we don't even yeah. touch on that. Mm. You know, we've just started to get into oh, we should have a black person. Oh, we mm. should have a woman. What about 
people that are deaf or, you mm. know, whatever. We should be including everybody and thinking of ways how we can include them. How do you make it more accessible? How do you make it more attractive? You know, particularly now that we have come out of the worst period ever and people are leaving the industry. So what do you do to bring new people mm. in? You know, there's a lot of room for great, talented people, lots of different ideas and outlooks, and we need that, mm. you know. So we should be looking at different ways to engage. Good opportunity as well, like you say, as everyone's kind of recruiting yeah. to sort of change tack a little bit and be a bit more inclusive. And also we know that we have to. You don't have the excuse anymore of ignorance. Mm. It's there. So mm. what are you doing? But it is, um, I mean, I'm optimistic. I, I, I don't know about you, but I think to sort of back 20 years ago where if you walked into a decent bar in London, every, every bartender probably would have been a, a white guy um, nearly all of them. Mm. And they all would have been wearing the same black shirt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? And 20 years later... You know, we're seeing a lot more diversity yeah, behind the bar in all different, in, in all in, different pretty much levels. in every different way. Mm. So, let's hope that the next twenty years are just as progressive as well. Yeah, and and also it's it's not just the people behind the bar; it's the people in front of. Because when I yeah. used to go to bars, I was pretty much the only black person in the bar. Mm. So, what's that all about? Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's a way of in including your guests as well. And I think that once the guests are there they will start to think, oh, I could be behind that bar. You know, it's that that sort of thing. Sure, it needs that tipping point of, mm. you know, to change it. Um, you are a mentor for Equal Measures. Yes. So... Well, I was. Okay. I did, because they, they changed... Fire the men- researcher. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> they do recruitments every quarter, but I'm now a mentor for our whiskey. So I'm still doing Oh, yeah, mentoring. our whiskey. Yeah, uh, well... We've had uh, Becky on before yeah. um, talking about that um, back in season two, I'm going to say, if anyone wants to mm-hmm. check out some other Correct episodes. You. Yeah, yeah. But um, I can talk about Equal Measures because yeah. I think that both of those platforms, and that's the reason I wanted to work with them, they're both really, really important. And Dino started Equal Measures because of, you know, him being one of the only black people in the workplace that he was doing and he really rightfully and I'm so glad that he did it something I would have loved to have done set up this foundation to help people not just people of color but of diverse backgrounds and LGBTQ Mm. plus Um, and just giving people a platform to be heard and also have some education have some mentoring and they have at um, Dino's Bar Atcha in Brixton they have um, community days as well and I think that Tim Phillips from Johnny Walker he did one of the community days earlier this year Mm. so that's a sort of networking thing they also have um, training courses for WSET so just to help people again what we're talking about to be educated and sort of find a platform in the drinks industry nice so um with all that in mind what if you would you have any advice for um a woman or a person of color or who's perhaps thinking about entering the drinks industry looking at opportunities what would you say i would say go to quite a few bars Look at them, check them out, see what you like. What do you like about it? Where do you see yourself in it? Do you want to be behind the bar? Do you want to be telling stories about that bar? Do you want to work with the brands that 
put the products into that bar. And then you can just put feelers out. These days, it's so easy to get in touch with people. I wish I was starting out in these days because you can just message people. You can find them on LinkedIn. You can find them on Instagram and connect. You know, people love sharing their knowledge. So if you want to be part of a particular community, just reach out to people and take it from there. Nice. Sage advice. Um, Final question. Can I come on your podcast? Of course. <laughs> we had Thomas, actually. I know. Yeah. You had Tom, my business partner, on. Yeah. I, you know, I was a little bit upset that you had Tom on first, but it's fine. He's we a nice guy. We saved the best for last. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to be the last episode. I'm not sure I want to no, be the one that shuts so- it down. <laughs> You're like, oh, we can't do this anymore. I'm just totally over it. <laughs> oh, well, look... Um, Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I feel like I'm so happy that I got to talk to you as the first episode back in the studio. (laughs) It's really um, reignited my passion for studio podcasts. We need to do more of them. Brilliant. It's been a real pleasure and joy, Tristan. Thank you so much. All right. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. If you haven't already, make sure you become a Diageo Bar Academy member. It's free. Head over to diageobaracademy.com for the latest industry news, events and inspiration. And subscribe to get it emailed to you.